Amen. It's all right to give God some praise today. Amen. He's an awesome God. He is everything that we just sang about and more. What a great God we serve. And it's all right in God's house to be happy about that. That's good. We serve a good God, and I praise Him for it. I want to tell you a little bit about my buddy, Jack. Um, Jack is somebody that I met when I was a youth pastor. So you're looking at me and you know that was a long time ago. OK, yeah, I was a youth pastor for nine years, in fact, and enjoyed it. I love being a youth pastor. I thought I was going to be one forever because the mentality just worked out pretty well. You know, that maturity level and all. But God had other plans and he eventually moved me out. But in the process of, of serving in a church, uh, I met Jack and he and his wife, Kim, actually owned a restaurant close to the church where I worked. And so they had a great lunch menu. And so fairly often, at least two times a week, I would go into the, the restaurant called Kimberly's there and uh, I would have lunch. And that is where I got to know Jack. Jack and his wife, as I said, owned a restaurant and he acts sort of like a mater d. But He's like a cartoon character. I'm just going to tell you, I mean, that's it's like watching a cartoon to be around Jack. He has a marvelous sense of humor, and um, his personality is just, just the way that his humor works anyway. is a little bit like Robin Williams, if you remember him. This guy, Jack, could do Bullwinkle perfectly. I mean, his voice was perfect. He nailed it. He nailed Popeye the Sailor. And he had all these impersonations he could do, and he kept me in stitches. I love this guy. He's, he's, he's really, really uh, a neat guy. And so I got to know Jack. We were playing some golf together once in a while, or I should say he was playing and I was hitting the ball and getting mad. Uh, but we were, we were, we would go out golfing and all once in a while. We just had a lot of fun. We, we hit it off, but he wasn't a believer. He didn't know the Lord. And I began to witness to Jack and to Kimberly and began to just, when I would go in there, talk to him about the Lord. And pretty soon he learned from my talking to him about the Lord. He said, by the way, what do you do for a living? Well, I was had. And I had to tell him, well, I'm a youth pastor. And then from that day on, I was like fair game for Jack. Okay. And not that Jack hated Christians or anything, but he liked to have fun with people. So then I would walk into this restaurant and I would visit uh, there and have my lunch. And invariably, Jack would saunter over to my table with a goofy looking grin on his face with a joke in his mind that wasn't really appropriate for a pastor to hear. Right. And he would say, I got a joke for you. I said, Jack, is it clean? Oh, you know me. I said, yes, that's why I asked Jack. Okay. But then he would invariably lie to me and say, no, it's a perfectly clean joke. He'd tell me the joke, get my reaction, you know, which was usually like, see, and then he would laugh. He thought that was so funny. We did this for a while. And eventually the Lord moved me out of youth ministry and I moved out of the area. And very shortly thereafter, Jack was involved in a serious car accident, almost lost his life. But lying there in the hospital bed, he tells me that he began to think very hard about the conversations that we have had. And he, after he got out of the hospital, was unaware that I had left the area. He went to the church looking for me. And he wanted to know the Lord. Fortunately, the senior pastor was still there and he knew Jack and he was able to pray with Jack. And Jack became a believer, as did Kimberly. And eventually, Jack... Um, felt a call to, to, to full-time vocational ministry. And the Lord began to work on, on Jack, and Jack did all this preparation, and I got to be present when Jack was ordained. Now, you're going to see 
in just a moment a video, Jack, and you're going to learn that he and I had another thing in common. We're emotional people, okay? All right, get over it. I can't help it. I'm emotional. And on the day that he was ordained, I was standing there just bawling like a baby, just so overjoyed at what God had done. And I still remember Jack running up to me after the act of ordination. He threw his arms around me and he whispered in my ears, Pastor Ken, thank you for being Jesus to me. And I'll never forget that day. Well, Jack has uh, two children. They're both grown now. And his daughter had just recently gotten married. And um, she lives hundreds of miles away from him, so she doesn't get to be uh, close to them all the time. And she, it was his birthday, and she wanted to send him a birthday present. And I'll let you see. This, vi- this went viral, <laughs> this video. I'll let you see what happens, and I'll finish the explanation, and we'll move forward. Can't believe you paid twelve sixty five for postage. She wanted to make sure it got there on time. Uh, oops. <laughs> 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 you want some scissors, honey? <laughs> uh, I got it. Oh my goodness, what is in here? Hey, got the good stuff in here. I got sunflower seeds. Woo-hoo. I got butterfinger. These are not on a Daniel plan. Got me some whoppers. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Here, open that lid a little bit. Oh, Mike and Ike's. Yeah. Got some raisinets. We got, we're going to have a movie tonight, so it's going to be good. And I got uh, a green The bottom bag. one is Josh's. Okay. Yes, it's Josh's, and this is Dad's, and it's a green thing. No way. <laughs> Phew. Remember what I told you 26 years ago today on your birthday? Pretty cool, huh? Same exact timeline. Same exact timeline. Pretty cool. God is so great. Yes. Sir. I love you, pumpkin. Praise the Lord. What she had told him 26 years prior to that was that she, his wife, was pregnant with the daughter who was letting him know in this video, just so you know, you're going to be a grandfather. That's kind of a cool thing that happened. And I want to show you, uh, uh, by the way, eight months later, he was holding his beautiful little granddaughter, Camden, and uh, he and his wife, Kim. They're a lovely couple, and I, I praise the Lord for them. They, they truly are serving God in wonderful ways. In a much more grandiose way, God made an announcement to the world that his son was coming. Just so you know, this is what he will be like. And it's an amazing thing as we're looking at this Easter series that we have been talking about, and we've called The Choice 
we're looking at the, uh, what God did moments after humanity rebelled and sinned against him. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3. All the way back to the first humans, the first people. And God made it known there after they fell away from him, after they rejected him. He made a choice. On the spot, and he made it known that he was going to offer reconciliation to broken humanity uh, uh, and, and fix this broken relationship. And the choice meant that thousands of years after the first sin occurred in this world, God already was announcing that he was going to send his only son, Jesus Christ. I told you when we started this series that at the moment that humanity sinned against God there in the garden, God had options. And one of them was to destroy humanity straight out. Another one would have been for him to just walk away and say, you know what? You rejected me. You can just live on your own. And you know how well that would have gone, right? It wouldn't have gone well. And we wouldn't be here today. But God made a choice right there in the garden. And he said to the devil that day, I'm sending my offspring and he is going to crush your head. You'll strike his heel, but I'm going to send my son and he will crush your head. And right there in Genesis chapter 3, we see the cross with the, with the, with the devil striking the heel of Christ. And we see the resurrection when his head was crushed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The choice was already made. And throughout this wonderful book. You can see the drive of the choice that God made. I need to remind you again that nothing that happened when we fast forward and we get to Easter and we get to the time that Jesus was born and the way that he ministered and the things that he did, none of that happened by happenstance. It wasn't random. It was a planned out thing from God from way back before the creation of the world. That's what Ephesians tells us anyway. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5, some key verses for this particular series for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through jesus or jesus christ in accordance with his pleasure and will that choice that God made is what we have been looking at, what we've been centering in on. And throughout the Bible, you'll see the drive of the choice of the Lord and the things that had to unfold in order for Jesus to come to the world and do what Jesus did. All because God loves us. All because God chose us. And we've been predestined by God, meaning he made a predetermined choice that he would offer salvation, a way for us to have a relationship with him and literally be adopted into his family where he is our father. Not just God out there somewhere, but a close father-child relationship to the Lord. And let me tell you something. It is amazing to me as I read through the scriptures that this choice was made before creation. And throughout the Bible, we see that choice confirmed again and again and again, right until it is accomplished. Praise the Lord. God carried this thing out all the way to completion. It's some 700 years now before Jesus would arrive to this world as a human being. And the prophet Isaiah was given, was moved by the Holy Spirit and given a message about Jesus Christ. And in my way of thinking, many of the things that fell off the pen of this mighty prophet of God was God's, just so you know, this is what Jesus will be like. 
Just so you know, 700 years before he's ever born, I'm going to show you what he will be like. I'm going to tell you about the life of my son. What a powerful thing it is to read the prophecies of Jesus Christ in the scripture. And this is, again, just affirming to me and confirming to me that God made a choice for us way back Thousands of years ago and given this prophecy about a son, God affirmed this choice for humanity and he had not changed his mind from the day that people fell away and he announced his son coming. He never fell away. Every prophecy in the Old Testament about Jesus is a reminder of God confirming his commitment to this choice that was made when men fell. One of the reasons The prophecies of the Old Testament mean so much to me is because I know each and every single day after humans fell away from God, that God saw the sin and the evil of that day. You've heard me say this to you before, but I remind you that if you or I were ever ever privy to what happens in this world for one day, I don't think any of us could stand it. If we saw the heartache, if we saw the the evil perpetrated against people, if we heard the thoughts of people, if we saw the deeds of people, if any of us saw what God sees day in and day out, I marvel that God stayed true to the choice that he made and didn't just say one day, you know what, I'm done. I'm not doing this. I changed my mind. They're just going to kill my son anyway. But God stayed true. And we look at these prophecies and I'm moved by them because they are a peek into the life of who Jesus Christ would be. And they're so accurate. Even when it came to the time where humanity was at when the the flood occurred, God spared somebody because it was his choice made before that ever happened. He didn't change his mind. He didn't take it back. He saved Noah and his family. Day after day, sinful humans in it ran after things that are offensive to a holy God. And in spite of it all, God stays committed to love us. Stays committed until the cross would occur. And it's a big deal to look through this book and see God marching his son to death on a cross. But that was his choice for us. You see, God didn't make an easy choice. God didn't make a choice that was without cost to him. God made the hardest choice he could have made. He sacrificed Jesus for the world. And we need to understand that this wasn't just some flippant decision by the Lord. And he kept his promises. Let's see some of the things that the prophet Isaiah was given to say about Jesus. I'm going to offer to you a passage from Isaiah from 40, uh, Isaiah 42. We'll just look at nine verses uh, at first here and see what this says. Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 through 9. Often Isaiah refers to Jesus when he is writing about him as God's servant. My servant when he's quoting the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout out or cry out, I should say, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. 
This is what the God, the God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all the springs that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See the former things that have taken place and new things, I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you just so you know the Lord would say these verses speak for themselves and what I would like to do is very quickly run through them and help us to see just how powerfully accurate they are about Jesus here is my servant verse 1 says whom I uphold my chosen one in whom I delight I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations In Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, and Luke chapter 3, the event of the baptism of Jesus Christ by uh, John the Baptist is given. The account is pretty much virtually the same in all three of those accounts. They describe the Holy Spirit coming down when Jesus is baptized, and the Spirit comes on him. Just as the prophet said would happen, I will put my spirit on him. The Holy Spirit comes on to Jesus in the form of a dove. And then there is a voice heard from heaven. A voice that says, this is my son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. This is the one that God said he would delight in. And he made it known to all who would hear there at the baptism that this is the one that he was telling them them about in the prophecy some 700 years before. And he will bring justice to the nations. A prophecy that is yet to be completely fulfilled. But God is working in that and we will see his justice. And then in verse two, he will not shout or cry out his or raise his voice in the streets. The religious leaders in Jesus day, especially the Pharisees, were in the habit of announcing whatever righteous or good deeds that they did to the public. They made great efforts to make sure if they did something well or did something that was good or considered righteous, they wanted everybody around them to know. In fact, their garments were touting their spirituality. They would wear a specific style of clothing that separated them from the rest of the people. And when people would see the way that they were dressed and know that they were Pharisees, it was them saying, we're set apart from you and we're higher than you are. They wore boxes on their heads called phylacteries and theirs were enormous. And inside of the boxes were scriptures that they held dear. And they they made a big deal out of anything that they did. They wanted it known to all that they did. If it looked righteous, they wanted it known. If they gave a gift, they wanted it known. So much so that they would hire trumpeters. This was not uncommon at all. They would hire a trumpeter and a herald. And so what would happen is the Pharisee would say to himself, well, let's see, I'm going to temple and I'm going to give a nice gift. 
and I want to make sure everybody knows it. So before I walk up to the offering box, I'm going to have a trumpeter, or whatever it would sound like, play his trumpet loudly, and then the heralder will announce, announcing Pharisee so-and-so is about to give a gift of $2,000 or whatever it would be. And they would have those people announce their good deeds. And they walked through the streets. They wanted everybody to be aware of how holy, how righteous, how wonderful they were. And they made a point. If they did something of a favor for somebody, they made a point to have a trumpeter announce it. They heralded their, quote, spirituality in the streets. And Jesus lived in sharp contrast to the religious leaders of the day. In fact, it was very common. When he lived and he ministered, it was very common. And many times in the gospel, you'll see a story of Jesus healing somebody or casting out a demon or doing something for the glory of God. With a, and he would accompany it with this command. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what I did. Don't tell anybody I'm the Christ. When demons would cry out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he'd say, shut up. Don't tell anybody. And, and that was who Jesus was. He, he did the opposite. And, and one, of, one of the great examples to me is that story that this moves me every time I read it in scriptures. A day that is full of people, a day that is full of ministry. And, and suddenly from behind the crowd, there is this voice crying out, unclean, let me through, unclean. You see, there was a leper. And back then in the days of Jesus, uh, Jesus' ministry on the earth, lepers had a horrible existence. From the day that they, it was discovered that they had leprosy, they were ostracized. They were outcasts. They were to go live where the lepers live, out in caves. That was what had to happen. They had to say goodbye to their family. They were not allowed to be around the common folk without leprosy because they, it was believed that leprosy was highly contagious. And leprosy is a deadly disease and it would kill people out. It would it eventually kill them. They had a horrible existence until they would die where they were fighting for any morsel of food and no way to make a living. It was an awful life. And suddenly this large crowd of people is hearing this man. And this was by law. He had to do this. Whenever he was coming in eyesight of anybody who was clean, he had to yell, I'm a leper. I'm unclean. And I'm coming your way. And he's making his way to Jesus. And the crowd isn't happy as they're parting for him. But he gets at the feet of Jesus. And he falls down at Jesus' feet. And he is crying. Of course, he's crying. And he's saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And I love what happens here as I hear the crowd gasping when Jesus does what you're not supposed to do. He reaches out his hand and he touches the leper. And you're not supposed to touch a leper. That's against the law. Now you're contaminated, but Jesus did it. And then he says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately all the leprosy left him and all the parts that might have fallen off were regrown. And suddenly he had complete health in his body. And of course he wanted to shout it. Of course he wanted to tell everybody. And Jesus looked at him and said, don't tell anybody. In front of all these other people, don't talk about this to other people. Just go to the priest and, and do this. You show yourself to the priest and you do the sacrifice that's required by the Levitical law for you to do in order for you to be proclaimed clean again. 
But even in that circumstance, which was in front of a whole lot of people, Jesus said, don't tell other people about me. And yes, I am aware that there were a few occasions when Jesus said something very public in the middle of a festival. One day he stood up and he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I remember him shouting that out, and I'm aware that he did that. But please understand that, that Jesus would only do that, not in an attempt to become popular. He didn't need popularity. He did it in an attempt to offer his love and his grace to people. One of the things that drove the religious leaders of that day crazy was the fact that people flocked to Jesus even though Jesus didn't brag. It made them nuts and it made them angry and it would work towards his crucifixion. The scriptures tells us that a, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Here's another sharp contrast to the religious leaders of that day. And we're told in the scriptures of the tenderness and the gentleness wherewith Jesus would minister. And please understand, this prophecy brought a brand new revelation about a man. Jesus grew up in a culture uh, of, of a man's man. There, there was no tenderness in the men of that day. There was no... Com- gentleness in the men of that day these are not common traits and in fact we're kind of frowned upon for a man to be tender they would they would exchange that in their minds to being soft i've often mentioned that jesus was soundly criticized for ministering to the outcast of the society you see in the society that jesus came to the world that he came to many people were written off and they were dis- they were discounted they didn't matter They were bruised reeds. They were smoldering wicks. These are two word pictures that are purposeful in this particular prophecy. You see, most shepherds of that day and that culture carried flutes. They would use them to entertain themselves when they were alone with their sheep. And many of them played flutes. And guess what the flutes were made from? Reeds. They would find reeds, and when they were looking for a suitable reed, they would try to find one without a bruise in it. If it had a bruise, they would move on. They would find a nice, solid reed. Once in a while, the bruises wouldn't be visibly uh, easy to see, and so they would make their flute, but they would soon find out. I didn't know this till I researched this. Did you know that a flute made out of a bruised reed will make sour notes? I didn't know it. So they would maybe make the whole flute. They would start to play it. If it made a sour note, they'd snap it and throw it away. Because it was no good to them. A smoldering wick is another word picture. They used lamps, of course, in that day. And if you're, you, you had a wick that would, was not functioning properly, the thing that they did was they would remove the wick and they would throw it away and they would replace it with a new wick. And what this prophecy is telling us is the way that Jesus would minister would be where there would be no bruised reeds or smoldering wicks. The society may have thrown people away, but Jesus sought them out. And Jesus ministered with love and compassion to the broken. Jesus ministered with love and compassion. And the religious leaders of that day did never, they never did that. They had categories of people. If you were put in the category of sinner, you were in their eyes damned and there was nothing you could do to change it. You weren't worth their time. And they wouldn't even associate with you if you were a sinner or a tax collector or a Bruce Reed or a smoldering wick to them. But Jesus was criticized 
lives soundly because he often was found with people of ill repute, ministering to them and blessing them. Remember the story of the woman at the well. This is who Jesus ministers to. And can I camp on this for just a second? This is one Bruce Reed who is so grateful that Jesus didn't throw me away. But instead he showed me the love that he has in his heart. The love of God his Father. I'm not a throwaway, even though I deserve to be one. But I'm not because of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a difference. Oh, what a contrast that there is when we look at the way he ministered to and compare it to the way... That uh, ministry happened ministry, I put in quotes, by the religious leaders of the day. Before Jesus' ministry to such people simply did not exist. People were just pushed away and written off. They were discarded. They were throwaways. But for all of his tenderness and for all of his gentleness, Jesus was not soft. I love what this prophecy says. He did not falter and he was never discouraged. He was never broken. And he never left the, the, the mission that he was on. He never broke to the pressure. And trust me, folks, they tried to break him. Oh, the, the Pharisees did their best to bring Jesus down. They never did it. They tried to outwit him and he outwitted them because he's the king of glory. And then the devil himself several times tried to tempt Jesus away and bring Jesus down. But Jesus was never discouraged from what God would have him do as difficult. And it was the hardest thing. I submit the hardest thing anybody has ever done was what Jesus did in going to the cross. And he did it. And he did it because he was never discouraged. He was never pulled off mission. In fact, that's what drove Pilate nuts about him. Pilate said, don't you understand who I am and that I have the power to take you down? And Jesus looked him in the eye and said, no, you don't, Pilate. No. You have this power because I'm giving it to you. But nobody takes my life. I lay it down. Praise God. Jesus wasn't soft at all. And that's what this passage of Scripture is telling us. And praise the Lord. His teaching has spread throughout the world. The, the nations, the island nations, if you will, that is symbolic of any, any nations that are across the oceans from the Middle East. And we know today, thank God, that the teaching of Jesus has reached throughout the world. Then in verses 6 and 7, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will hold you, take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles who open the eyes of the blind and free the captives from prisons and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. God the Father made Jesus to be a covenant to all of us people. At the establishment of the Lord's Supper, Jesus spoke about a new covenant in his blood. And what Jesus did opened a door for people who were not of Jewish descent to have a relationship with the living God. And I just have to tell you, I don't think I have a drop of Jewish blood in me. So here's one Gentile who is very grateful for Jesus Christ and what he did. I'm not worthy to share in the blessings of God's holy people. I'm not. But God has made it possible through Jesus Christ. He is a new covenant and he is a light to the Gentiles. I'm glad for the message of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that one day it made its way to Goldsboro, Maryland, where this filthy little 10-year-old kid had never walked into a church beside one time at a vacation Bible school, where this kid who knew nothing about Jesus except that it was a curse word, this kid 
heard the gospel message and somehow the power of the Holy Spirit worked in me. And at age 10, I was introduced to the Lord of glory. He is the light of this Gentile. And I'm very grateful for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ today. I'm grateful that I got to know him. And Jesus became everything that this prophecy is saying he would become. He became that to me. And even though when he died on the cross, many did not realize the full power of this prophecy had already uh, occurred around them and they did not realize who he was. That's exactly who he was. You see, he did open the eyes of blind people. Physically speaking, he did that. In his ministry, he literally healed blind people. And he's still doing it today. Can I just tell you that Jesus hasn't lost any of his power? Can I just remind you that he is healing people all over the place? We may not hear about it, but he still heals. I still believe in him. That's why we took some time to pray. That's not an exercise in futility. That's not a religious thing we did. That is just simple believing that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above what we could even, even imagine. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he can do. And yes, he opened the eyes of the blind. And yes, he freed captive people from prison physically. But oh, how many have been set, how many spiritual eyes have been opened by the power of the Lord's gospel message? Amen. Thank God for Jesus because he opened the blind eyes of all, many of us anyway, in this room, right? We saw the truth. We saw the truth when we saw Jesus. And it changed everything for us. And thank God some of you were in prison. Maybe not physically, but you were bound. You were you were just completely in bondage and you couldn't get free if you tried. You were in shackles. But thank God for Jesus Christ, who with a word forgave you and took all of your bondage away and set you free. And he who the son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Thank God for Jesus Christ. That's who he is. That's who's being described here. That's what's happening when we're looking at this. And yes, he has re- Release people from their dungeons. One of my favorite stories, of course, in that is when Jesus is resurrected and and um, Peter is in jail and he's 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 due to be killed. He's he's done for. And I love that the Lord sent the angel of the Lord in there and he set him free from that dungeon. That's a long story that I could tell, but but I'm not going to do it. But hasn't he set some of us free? Weren't we in the dungeon of despair and in darkness? And didn't he set you free? What a great God he is. I praise the Lord that he is like this. My point is this. God made his choice. And throughout the centuries, he has not backed away from the choice that he made there in the garden. And my friend, he chose you. And he chose me. He chose to let you come to him. He chose to make it possible for you to be literally adopted by his power. Thank God. He did the impossible thing so that it would be possible and honestly rather easy to become a child of God. I just marvel sometimes at how we wrestle with um, surrendering what we are so that he can give us all that he would give us. Sometimes I think about that and I think it it looks a little bit like somebody having their favorite stick. When I was a kid, um, we were kind of poor family and I had a favorite stick I would play with. It was my my, um, bulldozer blade. 
And there was a place in the sand where I would use that and I would pretend that there, my fist was a bulldozer and I would push and make roads. And I loved this stick and I didn't want anybody to have my stick because it was my bulldozer blade. And, and it really had no value. Oh, it also was a gun and it was a bayonet. It was a lot of things, man. This, this stick was awesome. It was a versatile thing. And, and it was a, a thing I used to irritate my brother with. I love my stick. But I think about all that Jesus would offer to me. And yes, brother, you got a stick. Uh, I, I often think about all that Jesus would, would offer to me. And I just wonder what it would have been like that day. If Instead, when I'm sitting in the sand, I'm pushing on this stick. If somebody came up and I had this the, the nicest Tonka toy bulldozer that you could have. Um, wouldn't it look silly for me to say, no, thanks. I like my stick. No, no. And I, I know that's a silly, rough analogy, but Jesus has so much to offer to us. And I sometimes marvel that people fight Jesus when he wants to give us eternal life and he wants to make us the fathers. He wants us to have everything that he, he came to give to us and that he, he died on a cross to give us. My point is this, God chose you and he kept faithful to his choice. And I see the choice in these prophecies and in these voices, verses, I should say. I hear the voice of God saying, so you know, this is my son. So you know, when he comes, this is what you're going to see. And if you will allow me to do so, I want to share with you one other portion of Isaiah. And I'm not going to break these verses down at all. I'm just going to read them. And I want you to read along with me. They'll be on the screens. And just so you know, this is Jesus. Isaiah 53, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised. And rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet... Who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the, Lord, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant 
will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressions, for transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I love that prophecy. That's my, that's my Savior. That's my Jesus. And that's so you know. Just so you know. That's who he is. Listen, I want us to close this way today. I'm going to give you an opportunity if we will all close our eyes and bow our heads and, and just be in reverence before the Lord and just give people a little privacy, okay? Not bothering or talking to one another for a moment. Is there anybody in this room who has yet to have surrendered your life to the Lord and received back from him the offer of eternal life, the offer to be part of God's family. Is there somebody in this room who by lifting your hand say, you know what, today I am surrendering my life to Christ and I'm asking him to forgive my sins and I want to belong to him. 